I've got a message that now, as uh, Soraya has been saying, I've been preaching on faith, and uh, it's kind of interesting how I got there, but I was doing other things, and the pandemic started when, back in, um, I guess it was March, and uh, I went into prayer. I said, Lord, what should I do? How should I put message together? This is, this is probably message number six on this subject, but uh, I asked Lord, I said, how, you know, what can, um, I says, what should I be preaching on? He says, preach on faith. So faith, I mean, faith seems like, it seems so basic. I mean, what about warfare? I'm a warfare guy. What, can, what if we, war? Now he said, preach on faith. He said, basically, what's going to happen? He says, fear is going to take over. And it's going to take over the church. It's going to take over the society if people aren't faith. Faith is what drives out fear. Amen? Amen? Basically, it, 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 a Christian can't walk in fear and faith at the same time. Because basically, they'll short-circuit their faith. So... I said, okay, Lord, faith it is. And we begin to uh, teach faith. And I begin to think about different titles and stuff like that. And, and uh, I realized that, that there's more than just faith. There's faith applied. There's faith that we have to enact. There's faith we have to grab a hold of. There's uh, un, uh, uh, you know, unprecedented or, or uh, uh, faith. You know. So I started putting the titles together. This morning's title is Faith Enacted, Path to Restoration. I realized this, I said, when, when Satan comes in and steals, kills, and destroys, like Jesus said he would, or tried to anyway, that what happen, has to happen is basically after that, he has to come in and, and restore. And God is a God of restoration. Praise the Lord. Amen. So how many know, how many know that there's things that Satan has stolen, but we need to re restore back, right? Praise the Lord. So anyway, I want to teach on both things this morning. God, give me some revelation. There's a beeping back here. Can we end it? Uh, can we end it? There has a plug or something. You just. Okay, praise the Lord. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking it, it's, it's, no, no, unplug her. No, no, that's okay. That's an auctioneer. I'm sorry. I, you know what I thought it was? I thought it was a dehumidifier back there. Uh, praise the Lord. Okay, well, I said, is that dehumidifier? Somebody didn't empty that thing and it's beeping. No, it's a, I'm sorry. Sorry, Miss Evelyn. It's okay. Go ahead. Uh, uh, whatever it is. I'll preach to it now that I know what it is. Praise the Lord. Anyway, don't worry about it. Um, so anyway, so, so faith and act is, past, is a path rest, restoration. How many know, this is one thing that God showed me. I was in prayer uh, this week, and this is one thing he showed me. The answer to your problem, now if you're a Christian and you're listening to God, the answer to your problem is in you. It's already there. They said, well, great. How, how, do I, how do I find it in there? How do I get it out? Well, we'll talk about that this morning. But the fact is, uh, the solution has been already put, placed in us, but needs to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen? Though it's in there, it still needs to be revealed. How I many know you can't practically apply the answer to the question or whatever it is? You can't apply the solution to the problem until you know what it is as far as the solution. So that's another thing. God wants to reveal it to us because he's already placed the answer in us. I'll look this up. This is kind of, this is kind of neat. I'll give you some interesting points. Let me know the word blessed. How many feel that they're blessed? I looked this up in the Greek, and the fact, this is kind of cool. To bless, the word bless in the Greek means to empower, to prosper. To empower, I'll say that again. The word blessed in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word blessed, Hebrew says something different, but in the, in the Greek word blessed, where we, Jesus, uh, I mean, oh, his famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are the, and he used the word blessed. What that means, it means empowered, 
or it means empower to prosper. So in other words, to prosper something isn't just about a financial prosperity. That's one kind of prosperity. But how many know that your soul can prosper according to the scriptures? Amen. So the word blessed, when we're blessed, that means we've been empowered to prosper, which also tells me one of two things. is Basically, God will do things, but he's requiring us. How many ever heard people just sit back and say, well, I'm just waiting on God, waiting on God. I got news for you. He's waiting on you. Because he's waiting for you to put something forth so he can bless it. This is how it works. Remember that the, the earth has been given unto the, to, to, as an inheritance to the sons of man, but the heaven belongs to God. So what happens is for him to come into the earth to work, he's looking for us to put something forward, which is in our realm, so he can bring his realm in and put something in behind it. Amen? Or actually come in with the answer supernaturally uh, and develop it for us. But it requires something. This is like when uh, Elijah, uh, Elijah goes to the widow and she's uh, in debt. He said, well, what do you have? He said, well, she said, I got a little bit of oil. And then he's, okay, that's what she had to give. And from that, God began to multiply, didn't he? Just get empty vessels. As long as they had the empty vessels, there was a flow of oil. When the vessels stopped, which was their part, when their part stopped, God's hand stopped. But, of course, before that happened, she had enough prosperity to live the rest of her life uh, very well uh, because of what she gave up. We look at things as giving something, uh, uh, not just tithes and offering, but giving herself as sacrifice. Well, it might seem like sacrifice at the time, but God is looking as a path to bless us back. So, anyway, it's an empowerment to prosper. So, I want to... Talk this morning, and the point I want to make this morning, and this is kind of a key thing, is having faith where there's every reason to doubt. How many has ever been required to have faith when there's every reason to doubt? Can I share something with you? Faith isn't by reason. You'll never reason yourself into faith. I don't care how you, how you, how you try to do it. Now, as far as salvation, this is what, how it used to be in the old days, is a preacher evangelist would come into church, and he'd preach fire and brimstone. You know, how many know what fire and brimstone preaching is? Okay, in other words, you're going to go to hell without Jesus. Well, that is the understatement of the century. We, everybody knows that. But the fact is, is in doing that, and of course they want an altar call at the end, and everybody had to come down and give their life to Christ. Nothing wrong with that by any means. But what happens, it becomes a thing now where basically we got to get somebody to show something and then acknowledge Christ. Well, there is a scripture for that as far as, far as witness. If you uh, deny me before men, I'll deny you before the fathers. With, with, with sort of, but the fact is, in that, somehow created a scenario in religion that taught us how to die good, but it didn't teach us how to live good. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, it prepared us for death. How many have ever heard the fire of brimstone? Well, if you don't believe in Jesus and you don't come to the cross, you don't give your life to him, uh, you're going you're gonna to go to hell. Right? So, anybody here want to go to hell? You're stupid if you do, but I mean, you know, it has to because Christ is made his way. Well, fine. Well, that, that takes care of the hell part. So, that gives us the fire insurance, life insurance, or the end of the path insurance, or whatever. That. So, we have insurance through Christ, but it doesn't stop there. And what happens is a lot of churches with that thing has stopped there. So, we know how to die, but we've never been taught how to live. According to the Bible, the just, that's the ones who are saved, that's the ones who accepted Christ, shall live. Oh, guess what? There's a commandment to live, not just die. And how they're supposed to live? Live by faith. So 
I, I was looking at this, and so basically, as w I was asking God, what about the faith message? And, and he says, I want, I, want a new, uh, I want some newness, renewness of this faith message. But he says, he says people right now, as they look at the TV, what happens if you turn on the TV the, and, and look at any kind of news, sir? All you get is death, death rates. Uh, uh, the coronavirus has killed so many more people today. Or, or this. So what happens is all they talk about is death. And so we're trying to prevent death. But God says, he said, in that, the church has been sucked into that so much that it's forgot how to live. And it's forgot about the fact that Jesus Christ died for our health. He's died for our prosperity. He's died for all these things so we can do, so we can live. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you permission this morning. You can live and not die. Praise the Lord. So let's live and not die and, and, and focus on that. So I want to focus on living, not on dying. Praise the Lord. Now, I understand the science of all this stuff. Well, <laughs> I science. I like that they say, follow the science. Which one? I mean, they're more confused than some of, some of the uh, churches today, I mean, back and forth with their doctrines. I mean, everybody has their opinion. And isn't it amazing everybody has their prophecy? Uh, what's going to happen in November or it's going to happen in, 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 by the end of the year. It's going to spring up again. Well, it's not going to spring up. Well, it's going to spring up again. But we have it we, and back and forth and back and forth. So I, I challenge you to follow the science. Hallelujah. But let me, let's follow the faith this morning and in the scriptures. I mean, I've been teaching about different things. and I've been using examples. I like the Bible gospel examples. For instance, I talked about blind Bartimaeus. Somebody about blind Bartimaeus? I like this guy because he had, he had gumption. Man, he just, he didn't care what anybody said. He, he didn't have peer pressure. He needed something from Jesus, and he wasn't afraid to go after it. Amen? He wasn't afraid to go after it. And the Lord smiled. The Lord loved this stuff. Because basically it says in Mark chapter, well, you find the story in Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. But blind Bartimaeus sat there, and he, and he heard. He couldn't see. He was blind. So he had to beg to make a living. He depended on the, on the goodness of others to get a paycheck. Something like the ministry. <laughs> but anyway, he, he was sitting there and he, was, he couldn't, but he could hear and he hear, heard people coming and he knew it was Jesus. So he cries this out. He says, son of God, or son of David, have mercy upon me. Son of David, have a mercy upon me. Okay. Jesus came, okay, as a, as a savior, but he wasn't savior at the time until he went to the cross. But he came as a Messiah uh, trying to restore Israel, okay, which basically, uh, re for the most part, rejected him. So, but he went around doing what the prophet said he would do by healing. So basically, when he said son of David, he wasn't referring necessarily to rabbi, rabbi's teacher. He was referring to Jesus as Messiah. Son of David was re reference to the Messiah, and he was calling Jesus Messiah. So the very words that he was using had impact. It wasn't say, Rabbi or, or teacher, do something for me. No, he was saying, Messiah. Now, he already had the faith to believe Jesus was the Messiah, and they're trying to shut him up. Stop saying that. Don't say it. Don't be quiet. Leave, leave, him, leave, leave, the, leave the master alone. Rabbi means also master. But leave him alone. Don't, don't bother him. And, 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 and he, he said, and all he did was cry out the louder. The more people tried to shut him up of getting what God had for him, what he believed God had for him, he shout all the more. I believe that's what it should be today. When the world is shouting, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, I think the church should rise up and say, no, we're going to live, we're going to live, we're going to live. 
And not only are we going to live, we're going to live in prosperity. We're going to live in grace. We're going to live in God's We're going to live in the favor of God. Yes. This is going to be a good year for us. Yes. Amen. Amen. How, Amen. I, like most pastors, I went to the Lord at the beginning of the year, and I said, Lord, what do you, what do you have for 2020? He said, it's going to be a year, he said, where the old blessings that you have are going to move out to make room for the new. That sounds good. And then he said, but it's not going to come without challenges. He said, there's going to be challenges that are going to be unprecedented. And I didn't know what it meant <laughs> until February this year. We found out what it meant, you know, challenges. And now life is a challenge, our, our way of life. Our way of doing church has been challenged, and everything has been turned around. Praise the Lord. How many know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden now Amazon becomes a big name in our household because the stores in Key West are closing down. Amen. Uh, what was it? Uh, 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 Sears went out of business uh, or going out of business and Kmart's not far behind them. Those are two big department stores, everything else. And, and, and basically, so we're, we're almost in Key West on this small little island, this small community. We're almost strapped to Amazon. And I told my wife, I said, this stuff is too easy. <laughs> I said, we're spending money here, but it's too easy to spend money with Amazon. But anyway, so, so things are changing, the Lord has said. Next, the next thing I talked about, I talked about last Sunday, the woman with the issue of blood. What was the way about her? The fact is, with the woman with the issue of blood, she didn't care that what she was about to do was an illegal act. And that was going out into the crowd and to the public is a little illegal act. She did it anyway. Why? She said within herself, this is a key thing. She said within herself that if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. She had this affliction for 12 years, saw every doctor and every medical person that she could think of of the time, spent all her money, but she put her faith totally and her trust totally in touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Amen. Man, there's got to be, there's, there's a message in there that should speak to us today. When everything looks hopeless, and, looks, and, and basically medical science is said hopeless, everything is hopeless, this woman saw within herself and said, here's the key thing, she said it out loud. She said it, she spoke it. If I could but touch the hem of her garment. She knew if she touched the hem of his garment that that would defile the rabbi, as she saw it, and basically uh, uh, could cause her to be stoned to death. But even though risking death or ris risking the judgment of the religious leader, she went out for it, and guess what? Jesus didn't kill her. He said, daughter, he said, your faith has made you whole. He says, go in peace. Amen. And it, 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 it was, it was, it was. So what happens? It, and of course, I'm going to talk about the man who was lowered through the roof on a stretcher. How many of you ever saw that? That's in, that's in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. There's, there's three guys involved in this thing. Two guys carrying a stretcher and one guy on a stretcher. What was the stretcher? He's a paraplegic. He couldn't move. And so he goes to the house in Capernaum where Jesus was preaching and he couldn't get in the door because of the crowd. Jesus drew crowds wherever he went. So he couldn't get in the door. Well, they got the stretcher. What are they supposed to do with this guy? Ah, we got an idea. Let's go up on the roof. We'll tear back the roof and we'll lower this guy and he'll have a front row seat. It took planning. It took initiative. And it took risk. Because basically, if they tore apart that roof, it wasn't their house. They're going to pay for a new roof. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but, you know, roofs in Key West, after hurricanes, can cost tens of twenties of thousands of dollars. I mean, this is, this is you know, the, but I, what roofing was back then, but they did it. And Jesus looked at this, and the first thing he said, he says, your sins be forgiven you. And the religious people went nuts. Who are you to forgive sins? How do you forgive sins? And he says, only God can forgive sins. 
He said, well, then what's easier then? Say your sins be forgiven or pick up your bed and rise up and walk. Amen. So he says, go ahead, pick up your bed and rise up and walk. And they were, they were even, even inflamed even more. Praise the Lord. Amen. Basically, what happens? Jesus talks about faith as great faith, little faith. How about the measure of faith? That's, Paul talks about the measure of faith in Romans 12, 3. And, and how about, uh, what is the measure of faith anyway? I'll give that in a minute. But he also talks about the proportion of faith. How many would like to learn all about all these things? Okay, pick up a Bible and read it. No, <laughs> Praise the Lord. Jesus would say, he said to, to the centurion, he says, great is your faith. He said to the, to the uh, Syrophoenician woman, great is your faith. So there was such a thing as great faith. Peter wanted to step out the boat, took a few steps and sunk or started to sink. And basically, uh, he said, uh, well, Peter, you have little faith. Amen? Little faith. So there's a difference. There's a degree in faith. There's great faith. There's little faith. And then there's the measure of faith. Everybody has been dealt, according to Paul in Romans 12, he said, according to, everybody has been dealt the measure of faith. So no person has originally more faith than another person. I know we like to take faith in amounts, but it isn't. Basically, basically, we've all been given the same faith. But Jesus talked a lot about the, the mustard seed. And the smallest of all seeds when planted can be one of some of the greatest trees in his day. So basically, he was using that. So is your faith being planted. I see that as the measure of faith being as a small seed of grain. If you have the smallest seed of faith, so how do we take the smallest seed of faith and, and, and speak on to the sycamine tree, be thou cast into the, you know, the smallest seed. How can it, he's saying, he's saying, he's saying a comparison. That is the measure of faith. You've been given enough faith, even in the smallest amount you can think about, to, to move mountains and move trees and grow things with that little bit of faith. So does the amount speak to us? No, the use of the faith speaks to us. So it isn't the amount. No, he said, you don't have to have great amounts of faith. What makes faith great is how you apply it and use it and what you trust in. Peter had trust as soon as he, as soon as he didn't look at the storm. As soon as he looked at the storm, what did the storm have to do with Peter walking on the water that Jesus had come? He heard the word come. The word supported him as long as he kept his focus on Jesus. Isn't it just like us? So did Peter have little faith? No, his his faith was growing as he was taking each step. But as he began to sink because of problems and circumstances, his faith began to shrink also, and so he began to sink. That was a little faith that Jesus... And by the way, he said little faith. He didn't say no faith. Amen. He said, you, you started out well. You started out great. Man, you started out really hot. I mean, you're walking underwater. You're doing great, Peter. Keep on going. But then Peter began to look at the wind and the waves, which had nothing to do with him walking underwater. What are you looking at today that has nothing to do with what God told you to do? What are you looking at that the Word of God had nothing to do, but still that's where your focus is at? Every place your focus is at that God told you not to look that way or, or it has nothing to do with your walking in faith or, or, or being upright, why are you looking at that predicament? How many people have faith has been destroyed simply because they were looking at coronavirus? Oh, my God, what happens if I get this thing? I get sick. I, can, I, I, I can't support my family. I can die. I mean, we're, 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 all this stuff. Why are you looking at the storm instead of looking at the Christ and the word that he's given us within us that has ability to protect us? Amen, Come on, I'm going to get a bigger amen in that this morning. Hallelujah. 
The fact is, is this is, this is it. Why are we looking at these things of what can happen that are disastrous? Amen? Praise the Lord. We live in hurricane country. Don't you know right now, this is the, the end of, towards the end of July. Now we've got one more week left in July, and they've already, they're already up into the uh, H's on named storms for the Atlantic. <laughs> already up into the H's? Are you kidding me? We, really? How many, how many have been affected by any storms here? Here in Key West? None. Amen? And what if you were? Yeah, I, I remember back in Hurricane Irma. I mean, everybody thought, that if you stay, you're going to die. The governor said that. If you stay, you're going to die. I stayed, and yet I live. I stayed to that storm. It was a Cat 4 that came come across the, uh, the Keys. Uh, uh, Key West got to about the southern end of that thing. But the fact is, I stayed. My house stayed in, in place. My property was okay. I lived for the next uh, uh, nine days on generator power, but the fact is, we were alive and we were doing well. But yet they said, if the, the, even the governor said, if you stay, you're going to die. You've got to get out of the keys. People got out of the keys and took them three, four weeks to get back. Isn't it amazing how easily, listen to me real carefully, isn't it amazing how easily a disaster, a pending disaster can move you off of what God had told you to do and how long it takes you to get back on what God told you to do? How come it moves us so quickly to the left, but we can't seem to get back to where God puts us on center? How come it's so easy for us to, 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 to get off the mark, uh, look at the wrong thing, and sink? How come it takes us so much time to get back when it's finally over? When the threat is over and everything is over. Why does it take so long to get back? We close churches across the world on pandemics. Matter of fact, if you're in the state of California, they had said, this is a quote from the governor, that churches, uh, uh, houses of worship, synagogues are now closed indefinitely. Closed indefinitely? Would they forget we have a constitution? I hope there's a bunch of churches and ministry challenge that one. Challenging the courts? Oh, that order. Amen? Are you here this morning? This church has been open for the most part, well, our staff is up here, all through the thing, and we've had no uh, uh, risk of corona, and we don't plan to have any, and we keep on playing. That's if right. it did, I still believe God will protect us, and no death will come upon it. Right. I'd rather do that than, than, than to cower in some cave in fear. Right. Praise the Lord. But what is amazing is the time it takes to get back. Once you compromise your faith, it takes so much time to get back. That's right. Amen? Amen Praise the Lord. He's given you the measure of faith. Let's use it. Now, proportion of faith. What's it talking to? Basically, the proportion of faith was referring to, it's in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, but in, if you read the context, it's referring to uh, using the gifts, uh, particularly mentions prophecy, but using the gifts of the Spirit. Use the gifts in proportion of your faith. Amen. Right? What happens if we go out of, out of proportion? Well, then we try to draw attention to ourselves as being more spiritual than we are, Amen. thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. So he says, use that in proportion of our faith. So there's a couple of things you can, you can jot down. Great faith, little faith, measure of faith, and proportion of faith. Praise the Lord. Amen. A lot about faith this morning. Amen. How many getting anything out of this? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise, praise the Lord. Now, I like this in 2 Corinthians. Write this, mark this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. I'm going to read out of the NIV for this verse. But it says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. There you go, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. That's what it says. You can mark that, write that down. 
strive for full restoration. Now, restoration, in the Greek, that word restoration means to repair, to adjust, mend, join together, or prepare. Amen? So, so basically, what he's saying, he says, strive, push towards, to get, I'm gonna, let me put it in my words, to get back what you lost. To get back what has been destroyed, strive to get that back. Listen, if your faith has been destroyed, strive to get that back. How do we do that? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You heard that uh, a million times if you heard it once. Okay? But it isn't just hearing. It is hearing. It's not just hearing. It is hearing. How many know the difference? Jesus said this. He that have ears, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the churches. He that have ears, they all had ears. They all had ears, but were they in tune, those ears in tune to what the Spirit has, or are you in tune to what you want? Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Come on, I, I should have a bigger amen than that. Amen. Are, a, is what you're hearing, is it the same as what God is saying? Are you hearing what He's saying in His direction? or uh, Praise the Lord. I can help a lot of people with this message this morning. Amen. And this is what we need. Anyway, uh, so I, I like to, I marked that scripture down in my Bible. It says Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. Follow my brothers and sisters. Strive for full restoration. Now listen to this. I, I didn't finish the verse. I'm going to finish the verse now. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So you see, to restore something is more involved in what I can. It's just more the to it than what I can do, but it's also what you can do for other people. Boy, I wish, I wish some, some ministers would get this down more because they're always preaching about what you can do and how you can help and how you can better yourself, self-improvement. But they forget about what, what the Scripture is saying about helping others. It's when we can relate that to other people, encourage one another. Yes, Not discourage, encourage one another. Amen. Where the 5 o'clock news will discourage you, reports of, of, of pandemics will discourage you, uh, uh, the political scene will really discourage you in a, in a lot of areas. But the fact is, God said, no, he said, he said, do the reverse of that and start encouraging people. Listen, you're going to get encouragement in church. Yes, you're going to get encouragement in church. I, I, I remember one time years ago, a, a, a woman came up and said, this was years ago, we first started the church. She says, I'm leaving this church. There's no love in this place. I'm leaving this church. There's no love in this place. I said, do you have love? She says, I got love. I said, then why are you taking out what we need? If you really believe that's what we need. Amen. How many know Amen. the only protective place we have now with God is in his church? Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on. Don't shout me because I'm preaching at you this morning. Yes, Amen. The fact is, why? Why do we want to cut out the very thing God wants us to be involved in? How can we take an opposite path and ever be expected to be blessed by God? Saray mentioned in the offer, she mentioned Malachi 3. You ought to read Malachi 3 again and find out what he says. Because God told Malachi, he says, he says, my people are robbing me. He says, how are they robbing me? He says, in tithes and offerings. How can a robber or a thief be blessed of the Lord financially? It's impossible. It's impossible. Now you see, so when we start changing our thoughts and start changing, restoration can come. So whatever you lost before, God can get it back in, 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 in triplicate. Amen. <laughs> Sevenfold when you find out the thief, right? Oh, that's, another, that's another message. Anyway, I was studying this, and how many, you're, how many are familiar with Psalms chapter 37? This is a good scripture. God gave me four keys to enacting our faith. How many want them? 
four kids. I'm reading this, and I never saw this like this. I've seen this scripture before. I've read this scripture a hundred times. But this week, God gave me this thing. He said, I see four keys to activate your faith. I'm going to give you some practical information this morning on how you can enact your faith. Psalms 37, starting in verse 3, says this, New King James Version. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and and feed on his faithfulness. Verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he, shall, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That's a good scripture, isn't it? Amen. Commit your ways unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice in the noonday. Then the seventh verse eight says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. In other words, he's saying, don't get all uh, uh, jealous and fretting over because the evil guy is, is prospering. His prosperity doesn't last, and his prosperity doesn't bring peace. That's right. Amen? God said he'll prosper, and he'll bring no, no, no burden with it. I mean, he'll just, you know, we can enjoy it. Four things I take out of that verse. Number one, trust, delight, commit, and rest. Those are the four keys that God was showing me. To, to Now let me t- break it down to you and tell you what it means. The word trust, going back to the Hebrew, means this, to put confidence in. In other words, I'm going to put my confidence, my total confidence in the Lord. Amen. That's a key. All right, what's the second one? Delight. You're going to like this one. Delight. How many know what delight means? We like the word delight. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give me the desires of my heart. True, true. But let me show you what it means in the, in the Hebrew. The word delight means pliable. Oh, pliable, pliable. Are you kidding me? Some of the Christians I've come across in the, in the years I've preached are some of the most rigid people I've ever seen. God says go one way, they want to do the opposite right off the bat, just because God said to go that way. Pliable, exactly. To delight means to apply or be pliable. Lord, I'm here for you. I mean, oh, Lord, I just, I just love serving you. Man, just whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Good. Go to the nations. Oh, accept that. Hallelujah. Everything else is on the table. And then you mention something else, oh, accept that. Well, what else we got, Lord? Can we narrow it down? Hallelujah. I'll tell you what. I'll go to church once a, once a month, and you can give me a big flat screen TV. <laughs> then we start bargaining with the Lord. That's not pliable. To delight means, Lord, I'm looking at what you're doing in the earth. I'm looking at the power of your Holy Spirit. I'm looking at how you're changing lives. Can I have a concern for other people other than myself? Or is it beyond my capacity to love? If it is, then I need a better relationship with Christ so I can be more pliable when it comes to other people. Oh, 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 man. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Do we have another sermon, Pastor? Yeah, I'm getting to it. Hallelujah. That's what delight means. When you do that, God says, I'll meet the desires of your heart. You know what happens when we do that? When we become pliable and delight ourselves in the Lord? His desires become our desires too. Isn't it amazing how it works? I was a single guy many, many years ago, about 49 years ago, I guess it was. I was a single guy, and all I had to worry about was me. Well, then all of a sudden I married Diane, my wife. And we've been married for 49 years. I was 19, she was 18 when we got married. And, and, and I was, by age 20, I was a father. And by age 23, I was a father, two, two kids and wife and all that. So I had, my life had to grow up quick. 
And I realized that when I was by myself, all I had to think about is me. But now all of a sudden I take on the husband and the father image. Now I got to be somebody else. You better learn how to be pliable. <laughs> Amen. You better learn how, that the fact is I had to start thinking, that means when I get up at work more. I couldn't, if, if I had a headache or, or, or didn't feel good, I couldn't sit home because I had to pay the bills. I worked in construction and basically you don't work, you don't get paid. So they used, to take, they used to have a saying in construction work, take off all the time you can afford. Well, back in one of the greatest recessions we had back in the 70s, I said, man, I can't afford any of it. I said, we, we need a, so I, I worked. All, why? Because there was other people dependent on me. That's what it meant. So when God says, I'm going to make you a minister, and basically you're going to uh, uh, be ministering and helping other people. So what's different except it just got bigger? Because I've always had that initiative to, 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 do, to do responsible because how I, that was my example growing up. My dad was responsible. My dad worked and worked and worked all the time to provide for our family. And we had a good life. And he provided very well. Well, I wanted to be like my dad. My dad was my hero. I wanted to be like my dad. So I, didn't, just like, I was uh, the same kind of husband that he was to my mom. I was the same to, to Diane. But you see, when other people are attached, the church hasn't got that. Because basically the church has been used to coming in taking what they need and leaving. And the church has done that for centuries. Just give me what my need, or just tell me what to do, pastor. Tell me how I'm supposed to live. That was the other uh, religious thing. Well, well, we'll tell you how to live. We'll tell you how to get to heaven. It's not a mystery. You don't need somebody pointing the way. All you need is the scripture or the Bible, and you'll find your way to heaven. All you need is Christ, and he'll bring you there. It's not by, it's not by the will of man anyway. It's not by you confessing your sins to the priest. Hello. He's not your savior. Matter of fact, he needs a savior. (laughs) Amen? So forget that nonsense. So what's he saying? He's saying be pliable. Then it says this. He said the, the third one is commit. Are you ready for this one? Commit. I looked this up in all kinds of places. I'm thinking, what does it mean? It means to roll. Roll, R-O-L-L, roll. I looked in different concordances. I looked in, 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 in uh, diction, I mean, uh, and I, I'm, I, roll. I, had, I needed prayer for this one. Does that mean roll along the ground? Uh, I can get in my 77 vintage Corvette and roll down the highway. We're rolling, man. But Yeah, we're rolling. Cool. Turn up the tunes and we're rolling. No, that's not what it means. It means to roll over everything that's about us onto the Lord and let him take it and make something out of it. Praise the Lord. To commit. To roll our cares. To roll our ambitions over on the Lord. That doesn't mean we sacrifice. But when we roll on the Lord, the Lord's going to come back with the same, a lot of the same ideas we had, only better. But it's not going to involve the sin, sickness, and disease that the world wants to, to promote in their stead. Are you here? I'm going to commit. These are, these are four keys. Finally, this is the toughest one of all. This is the hardest one. I'm still working on this. I've got to perfect this thing. But this is the hardest one. Rest. Because you know what it means? It means to quiet oneself. To quiet oneself. That's hard to do. Because basically, when I have a problem, I have to help God out. 
And God's saying, be quiet. Be still. He says, you got the other ones down. He says, you're delighted in me. He says, he says you trust me. You're delighted in me. You commit to me. Now rest in me. That is difficult. Because now that I have trusted and I've delighted and I committed, there's got to be something else for me to do. There just has to be. No, he said, if you've done the other three, you've already done your part. He said, now rest in me and watch me work. Because it goes on to say this, rest or quiet yourself in the Lord and wait patiently. That's another one. I said, Lord, I need patience and I need it right now. You're laughing because you're the same way. <laughs> wait, wait for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his ways because the man brings it. Yeah, hey, how, come, how come the guy, the sinner down the street, he gets all the blessings, he's, he's, he's got the big house, and he got all this stuff, and I'm sitting there, I'm serving the Lord, and, I, and, and we're struggling. That doesn't seem fair somehow. And what's God saying? Quiet oneself. Quiet oneself, because you, you don't want his path. You don't want the end of his path. He says, but I'll give you prosperity. What it says in the scriptures, I'll give you prosperity and add no sorrows with it. That means whoever has ill-gotten prosperity gets sorrow with it. Everybody who puts their prosperity before God got sorrow with it. Are you here? Amen. Amen. How many can say amen to church? This is why God must come first place. The house of the Lord must have some place in your life to where it, it means something. And it has to have something. You want all the things and the benefits of the kingdom without being a part of the kingdom does not work. You want all the benefits of the kingdom, all the things that Lord can bless you with, but you don't want to put in the time or the effort to be pliable so he can call on you. We want all the, all the benefits without any of the responsibility. Amen. Now, how, how many have kids that way? Uh-huh. <laughs> Not for long, you don't. Because <laughs> as soon as my kids were raising up, and they, they thought, well, I deserve this. I mean, all my friends have this. I deserve this. Oh, yeah? All your friends have a job? Because that's how we get things around here, by working for them. God has given us the strength, the ability, and the wisdom to know how to work. I said, we work it, and it works us, and we work. And praise the Lord. So both of my kids were raised with good worth ethics and have them to this day. No, I'm afraid to work. Right? Are you here? Praise the Lord. Amen. Why? Because basically, I, they delighted in their father. They trusted in me. They committed to the things that we had to do the household. They rested in, that God, that dad was going to take care of them. And guess what it did? He did. And they were denied nothing. They were denied nothing. I remember Eric come home with a car. Oh, God. Do I remember this car? A 1978 Saab. And I realized it was given to him. And he brought it home because dad knows how to fix things. And um, 1978 Saab, I know why they call this Saab. Because all you have to do is work on one, and you will sob feverishly. <laughs> so he come on, and Eric is just as proud of his car. He drives it to school one time, and he comes home, and it's overheating, it's boiling over, it's got all kinds of problems. So basically, I look at the car, I say, well, it should be straightforward. I open up the hood, look at the car, and say, it ain't straightforward. The Swedes had a better idea of building a car, but it wasn't this one. <laughs> everything on the car, the fuel pump, the, the, the water pump, everything, everything was electric. 
you blow a fuse and your car dies. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Everything was electric. They thought they had a better idea, a more modern thing. No, it wasn't. So I, at that point, I would look at this car, and we got it back together. He drove the next day, broke down. Drove the next day, broke down. So he was always in the driveway, and I was trying to teach him, you've got to fix some of the stuff yourself. You know, you, you can use tools, and we'll, I'll teach you how to use tools. Well, then the lessons became longer than the actual repair. <laughs> so finally, a, a, a friend of his came along and said he had a nice little pickup truck, a little Chevy S10 pickup truck. Uh, uh, I think a year, well, yeah, about 10 years newer, <laughs> whatever it was. Anyway, and he says, uh, I can't afford the payments now. If you take over the payments, you can have this truck. Well, for Eric at 18 to take over the payments, I had to go sign for him and, and give him this. But and I said, Diane says, what are you going to do? I said, well, gladly sign. <laughs> He said, if I have to, I'll pull them out of my pocket and buy that truck. I said, because I'm sick and tired of that sob. <laughs> I said, at least it's a Chevy. <laughs> I understand American. <laughs> so, and that's it. He drove that truck for, until he wore it out, right out. But, I mean, that was it. But, you see, we started here. He started, had to put his input in instead of trusting Dad to come up with a plan and an idea. So, but even though that, it was a learning experience. What is the church going to learn? You're trying to fix things yourself when God could do a whole lot better job. But it's going to take you being pliable. This is a pretty good message this morning. I'm going to get something out of this. I'm going to share something. I'm, going to have time. I don't have, I'm running out of time, so I don't have time to get into all this. I, I, got, I got about three or four different revelations this morning. I, I go in which direction. They, I'm going to just give you the scriptures. You can go ahead and read them at home. But Mark chapter 8 and verse, uh, verses 22 through 26, and John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Look them up. I'm going to share the story. How many remember the blind guy? And Jesus came up and he, 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 he spit in the guy's eyes and put his hands on him, so, and he received his sight. How many, how many have read that? And how about the other guy? The other guy, Jesus picked up some dirt and he spit in it, he made some mud and he put it on the guy's eyes. Same thing, blind, blind from birth. And guess what? the guy could see when he washed it off in the pool of shalom. Amen? So basically he could see. But here's the thing that you understand about Scripture. Okay, that when we, don't, we look at, at Scripture, we don't understand that that means something. And that bugged me for a long time. What does that mean? Why did Jesus spit on one guy? Other guy, I mean, blind Barnabas is blind. He says, your faith be done unto you. Why did Jesus do so? Well, did you realize that in the day that the spittle of the firstborn, they believed, had healing properties. I'm the firstborn. Anybody want me to spit on you? I'm the firstborn in our family. Let, let me spit on you see what happens. <laughs> Christians back there saying, uh-uh. We love you, Pastor, not that much. <laughs> but this, what was Jesus saying? Now, here's the things you miss if you don't understand the scripture or the culture. Jesus was saying, I'm the firstborn. Not only is he the firstborn, the Bible says I'm the, he's, the, he's the firstborn of many brethren. Are you, are you here this morning? If we trust in the firstborn of many brethren... Jesus promised he's not going to spit on you. But that's what he was symboling in this because the religious leaders were having a fit that this guy was. Matter of fact, the guy in the book of John where he made the mud. Matter of fact, his family was afraid to tell the Pharisees who healed him because as soon as the Pharisees decided that Jesus had healed him, they were going to be kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of the village, kicked out of society. Are you here? So, so, they, were, so they said, well, ask him. He's of age. 
And he had no problems. Yes, I was blind, but now I see. Well, who is it? This guy named Jesus. You did. Well, you're going around telling people that Jesus healed you. I could see. I couldn't see before. I could see now. I said, and he said, if you want to see, you can be a disciple of his too. Oh, you're a disciple now of Christ. And they booted him out of the synagogue. That was it. He didn't care. He wouldn't follow Jesus. I got something better than what you guys can offer me in a synagogue. We got something better than what religion can offer you. And that's a life of Christ that's real. Amen? If you can't feel a presence or feel a realness, then let me help you with a relationship with Christ because that's what it's going to take. How can two people sit in the same church, listen to the same preacher, not necessarily here, but any place, just speaking rhetorically, but the fact is, and, and, and one can be blessed off their socks and say, yes, what a message. And the other say, I don't know, I didn't get nothing out of that. A guy come, met me at the door one time, he says, he, says, he says, I don't know, preacher, I didn't get much out of your sermon. I said, a good reason for that, you didn't put nothing in. You didn't put your attention in, you're sitting back there sleeping. I said, so you didn't get much out because you didn't put nothing in. But don't look at me. Don't shoot the messenger. God was here, and he had the words. You're the knucklehead that didn't listen. Had nothing to lose. He was leaving anyway. (laughs) So I give him my parting comments. (laughs) Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Sometimes it doesn't. Praise the Lord. Amen? How many got something out of the word? How many could use one more revelation this morning? One more, I promise. This is my third closing. <laughs> I'm going to go real fast. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. I just got this. This is hot off the press. I did not see, I'll admit, I did not see this before until this morning. I'm so excited about this revelation because I, I, I want to, it's a key to what we're, we're talking about. And I did not see this before. Proof that you can read the Bible for years and years and years. I've read the Bible over 40 years or more and still miss things. How many want this revelation this morning that was hot off the press from pastor anyway? But I saw this. Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. says, Paul is giving a rebuke to the Galatian church. Is it okay still? Okay. He's saying, you did run well. Who did hinder you? Read King James. Who did hinder you that, you should not, that ye uh, should not obey the truth? Who hindered you? Uh, another translation says, who, who cut in on you? Who disrupted you that you no longer obey the truth? You used to obey the truth, but then you don't anymore. He said, this persuasion cometh not from him that calleth you. This persuasion, in other words, they were persuaded not to follow Christ anymore, didn't come from the one who called you, which is Jesus. This isn't from Christ. Hmm. I was thinking about this verse, and I think about this verse. He said, who did hinder you? I said, I remember another scripture. Sure enough, Galatians chapter 3, just a few chapters, just a couple chapters before that, Paul says to the same people, same church, almost the same time, he says this, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified amongst you? And then I saw it. I said, what's the difference? Here they were hindered. Here they were bewitched. Bewitched means some witchcraft came in and overpowered you. How did you let that happen? Basically, he was calling and hinder you. In other words, somebody hindered you. There was a persuasion or influence. And then I saw it. This I never saw before. Are you ready for this? Good. Come back next week. No, okay. I'm kidding. Okay. But this is what I saw. Let me read it again. You did run well. Who hindered you? You should not obey the truth. This 
persuasion cometh not from him who calleth you. Mark that word calleth. Now, Galatians chapter 3 says it differently. I'm taking them backwards. I know, I know 3 comes before 5. Uh, don't correct me. I, I do but, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evident set before you, underline the word eyes. Then, I, then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Do you see it? Yes. I, yeah, because I told, shared this in a war room, Skip. <laughs> you should know it. Hopefully you said, if you said no, I was going to get, you know, what, what, where were you? There's two elements to this thing, and I believe it's a key to what I'm talking about this morning. Listen to me, okay? How many know there's hindrances against you? How many had a hindrance to get to church this morning? Obviously, I'm looking at some of the empty chairs. I guess there was more hindrances than we know. Whatever those hindrances, how dumb or stupid they are, doesn't matter. But the fact is we have hindrances, Okay. Basically, hindrances is a persuasion persuaded against, okay, doing what we know to do of who called us. You have a calling and then bewitched, okay, is evidence set before you because that before those eyes, you're bewitched. Before, I get ears and eyes. A calling is what you hear. Okay, eyes is what you see with. He's saying two elements here, two different things that hinder by what we see and what we hear will become the hindrances. Can I reverse engineer this if I can? For a what if we see the right things and we hear the right things? It keeps us on the right path. Paul was saying to the same church, to the same people, to have been, one of the, they both all have been bewitched or some, and it all had been hindered or some, but there's a hindrance and there's a bewitching. You see, back then, bewitching was given to the sorcerers and, 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 and the such who worked in black magic. And they would do marvelous works to try to get the, the, the focus of the people to pull them away from God's plan. So there was something to look at. Oh, this is fascinating. We're going to look at this thing. But then he's saying the hindrance came as a persuasion for what we hear. So we can be mispersuaded by what we hear Okay, and we can really miss the mark by being amazed by what we see over here. I, it never ceases to amaze me whenever I sit down on Saturday or, or, or Friday, or, or I'm doing all week now, but sitting down and preparing messages. It never ceases to amaze me the distractions of what, I can, of what I'm looking at. I'm in my own office, but somebody's going to pop up and going to show me something. Or I'm hearing a noise as a distraction. Amen? Seeing and hearing. Seeing and hearing. Two elements. Amen. Let me reverse it now. What if we see the right things? What if we get in our prayer time and we see, I'm going to close this, but we see the presence of God in our, in our prayer time. Will that change us? Will that pull us back? What if we hear, man, I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, I know it's the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, you don't think I'm crazy, but I heard the Spirit. I heard God talk to me. Is that going to change your life? Uh-huh. If you really truly believe, that's what you heard from God. So maybe we have a problem in the church today of, of hearing and seeing the wrong things. Maybe we need to flip the switch on the devil. Release our faith because it's going to take faith to hear God. You're not going to hear him with these ears. You're going to hear him by the, through the ear of faith. And you're going to see him through the eye of faith because he's not seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's faith when you don't see it. But it's hearing the word of God that builds faith, which comes in your hearing again. 
This is a pretty good revelation. We're just getting early in this morning. <laughs> but did you see it? See, the wrong sight will hinder you. The wrong sight will pull you off the mat. And call, Paul called watching the wrong thing. He called him foolish. You foolish Galatians. Man, you knew Christ. You were there and you witnessed. You saw with your own eyes what he did. How can you now deny him? And you hindered you. You were persuaded by what somebody told you when you knew the truth of Christ. He was holding account to those that know. What do you know? How did you hear it? What did you see? And he's holding the church to a church. This isn't, this isn't the world. This is a church. The church of Galatia. This is a church. These are Galatian churchgoers. Are you here? Help anybody this morning? Amen. Can I encourage you this morning, yeah. this week, start watching what you watch and, he, and start uh, uh, watching what you hear? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> start listen, listening to what you hear and start watching what you see. Because basically that's where it's starting. And Satan can pl- plant a seed just out of a little distraction of what you see or a wrong thing of what you heard. Are you here this morning? God bless you. Let's stand to our feet. I ain't done, but I got to stop. <laughs> How many thought that was a pretty good revelation? I give you a bunch of stuff this, this morning at church. It's always, a, it's, 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 it never ceases to amaze me. It never ceases to amaze me how much revelation God will pour out in this church in Key West. And I asked him one time, I said, what, how come you give us the revel, give a revelation like this? And, and uh, he says, because basically use it against the enemy. He said, and the enemy where you live is, 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 is trying to overrule and overcome my people. Amen. He says, I'll preach the truth. How's he doing it? And he led me to these scriptures. I asked him this, this week in prayer, and he led me to these scriptures. Who did hinder you? You did run well. You used to run well. Who hindered you? Now, I'm not talking to anybody. You all came to church. I'm just saying, basically, this goes out all over. But the fact is, is, is who is hindering you? What is the hindrances? And how dumb do they look compared to Christ? Christ certainly didn't hold back, from, hold back anything from us. I don't think we should hold back anything from him. Only a knucklehead would do that. Praise the Lord. After what he's done. How many after pre- listening to this message this morning think their life is going to change? Raise, raise your hand. Give me a show of hands. Wow, that's pretty good. Amen. Then, then we'll pray, praise the Lord, that it doesn't change for the better. Yes. Satan is clever, and he's a deceiver, but you're better because you have the wisdom of God. Yes. Satan was never, never overcame Jesus. Even, now, Jesus didn't take on him in the spirit realm. He took on him in the natural realm as a human being and showed us how to do it. When the devil's trying to show you one thing, you stick to what you know and what you see. Amen. Well, I'll give you all this if you bow down and worship me. Jesus didn't see himself bowing down worshiping Satan. He said, no, get you behind me, Satan. Amen. Don't tempt the Lord thy God. Throw me off a cliff? No, don't tempt the Lord thy God. Satan used scripture. Jesus used scripture. Amen. But Jesus had the word. He, he was the word. Amen. And that was the difference. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for all the ones that raised their hand this morning. And Lord, they'd see this is going to improve their life. Let them have a revelation. Amen. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit kick butt. I'll just put it in terms you can understand. Kick butt. And if your butt's the one needs to be kicked, so be it. It'll be a holy, blessed kick. 
design his love towards you. But if he's going to kick the devil's butt, let it be destructive kick. The smush that creep forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. But don't compromise God's word. Don't compromise your faith. Don't compromise anything. The devil ain't ever worth it. The world doesn't have anything. I look at the world today, they got nothing to tempt me. Forget it. Once you ever tempted, preacher? Uh-uh. I've lived too long. I lived too long. I've seen this then too many times. Praise the Lord. How many are blessed this morning? God bless you. Those who are watching from live stream at home, I, I pray your blessing upon you, your household, and they, may you, you, your hand prosper everything it touches, as Isaiah said. Let your hand prosper. Amen. So in other words, it's our hand that prospers when God joins up with us, not you by yourself. Amen. Understand, your hand will prosper when God's, when God's in it. When God's in it, God ordains it, and God gives you the okay for it, then it'll prosper. Praise the Lord. Music team, come forward. Thank you for listening this morning. And I, I just had to get those revelations out, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to go home. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God bless you.